morning. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Friday the 24th of February. And for the last time from me, welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. In today's business and finance headlines, Financial Secretary Paul Chan yesterday said the government can't afford relief measures beyond those announced in his budget, acknowledging that the sweeteners are not as sweet this time round. Mr Chan said the administration had to live within its means after recording another hefty deficit. Hong Kong's budget deficit for 2022-23 will come in at 140 billion Hong Kong dollars, according to the financial secretary, two and a half times higher than the original estimate of about 56 billion. Mr Chan said, after all, we've had several years of deficits and we have to be prudent. I hope people will understand that we've done everything we could. Mr Chan Thursday also dismissed fears that Hong Kong was losing its fiscal discipline. He said the government was well positioned to borrow more, given few advanced economies in the world boast a debt level this low. He said Hong Kong was financially healthy, despite its fiscal reserves dropping to about 800 billion Hong Kong dollars, or 12 months of government expenditure. Hong Kong's consumer price inflation accelerated further in January to the highest level in four months, largely due to higher utility and food costs. The annual inflation rate in Hong Kong rose to 2.4% in January, accelerating from 2% in the previous month. On a monthly basis, consumer prices grew 0.6%. That's the fastest growth since February 2022. And economic growth in the United States in the fourth quarter has been revised lower on weaker consumer spending. GDP increased 2.7% at an annual pace in the fourth quarter, down from the initial 2.9% estimate. However, in troubling news for the Fed, prices increased more than expected and the consumption expenditure index rose 3%, 3 3.7% from a previous estimate of 3.2% increase. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris, CEO of Econosis Advisory. With a view from Australia is Toby Lawson, Director of Staten Advice. And if you want to get in touch with the programme, text 6393 5925. Email moneytalk at rthk.hk. We're on Facebook, Money Talk, on RTHK Radio 3, and also on Twitter at Money Talk Radio 3. On Wall Street on Thursday, U.S. stocks rebounded from selling at the open to close higher despite the hawkish FOMC minutes the previous day. The S&P 500 snapped a four-day losing streak, gaining half a percent to close at 4,012. The Dow climbed 109 points, or a third of a percent, closing at 33,154. The Nasdaq Composite Index reversed a decline of 0.7% at the low of the session to close 0.7% higher, ending the day at 11,590. In Europe, the Stock 600 Index closed 0.1% lower and the UK's FTSE 100 fell 0.3%. Hong Kong stocks ended lower in a choppy session. The Hang Seng Index fell 72 points or 0.4% to 20,351 and the Benchmark Index is down 10.3% now since its most recent high on January the 27th. The fall of 10% or more is regarded as a correction. The tech index climbed 1.2% and on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index edged down 0.1% to 3,287. After the close, Hong Kong Exchanges and Clearing reported its best fourth quarter on record. The city's bourse operator said earnings increased 11% to 2.98 billion Hong Kong dollars. That's about 380 million US dollars. 
and beating market expectations for a 9% gain. HKEX said trading volumes surged and investment income improved as China reopening uh, boosted asset prices. And for 2022, though, as a whole, HKEX posted a 20% decrease in net profit to just over 10 billion Hong Kong dollars. That's its first decline in six years. And Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba reported earnings for its fiscal third quarter that massively beat expectations. Net income rose 69% year-on-year to 46.8 billion yuan, that's 6.8 billion US dollars, compared with expectations of 34 billion yuan. Revenue, though, rose just 2% year-on-year to about 35.9 billion US dollars, but it is the first profit growth since 2020 as spending cuts take hold. Alibaba recorded sales growth in the final quarter of last year despite COVID-19 lockdowns paralysing much of China during the period. Shares of Alibaba rose as much as 10% in New York before surrendering all their gains to close 0.7% lower. In the commodities markets, oil prices rallied, breaking a six-day losing streak. Brent crude oil settled 2.4% higher at $82.43 a barrel. Gold drifted a couple of dollars lower to $1,822 an ounce. And Treasury yields were lower across the board today. Following the weaker than expected US GDP data, the 10-year Treasury bond yield fell four basis points to 3.89%. And the US dollar index briefly hit its highest level since the beginning of January before reversing to end the session unchanged. The euro is 0.7% lower this week and on pace for its third negative week in four. It's trading at $1.06. The Japanese yen is on track to weaken for the sixth week in a row against the dollar. It's at 134.5 this morning. And sterling is trading at $1.20 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 43 cents. Chinese yuan is around 0.2% weaker at just below 6.92 in offshore markets. And Bitcoin is up slightly. Uh, just below $24,000. And if I take a look around Asia-Pacific stock markets, this morning at the open, the SX200 is up a quarter of a percent. Stocks in Japan also rising, the Nikkei 225 up a third of a percent. Cosby in South Korea also up about 0.2%. But it does look like the Hang Seng is going to record a loss of about 150 points or so at the open this morning. Times 810, let's welcome our regular Friday guest and globetrotter Andrew Ferris, who's the CEO of Econosis Advisory, I think, possibly in London this morning. Absolutely right. My God, there are a lot of useless things to remember, but remembering where I am must run just about the bottom. Anyway, thank you. Thank <laughs> you so much. You've me. <laughs> mindful of useless information here. Listen, let me ask you about the budget. I want to get your thoughts on Paul Chan's. Budget. First of all, let's talk about the economy. You are an economist, so let's delve a little bit um, into the numbers. He was quite optimistic um, about the Hong Kong economy, um, although it declined um, uh, last year. He said he's anticipating growth of between 3.5% and 5.5% this year um, after a contraction of 3.5% last year. 
Um, I'm wondering what you yeah. make of that. He's also saying that, uh, um, you know, we're going to have um, underlying growth um, of about uh, of about three percent going forward, which is higher than where we were at the well, pandemic. I'm, I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm afraid it's it's not a matter of a trick, but it's a matter of something uh, incredibly simple. Uh, the economy is likely to grow at a significant number because. For 22, it grew at minus, and if in 23, very likely will go at plus, it will be doing it from a low-level basis. Mm. Let me give you another very simple example, which we tend to find forgotten. In year 20, the economy shrank by 6.5%. I say that slowly, 6.5%. Guess mm. what? In year 21, it grew by plus 6.4%. Why? An extremely low base. Mm. But it is generating okay. inflation, isn't it, this, uh, this economic growth? Well, now. hardly. I mean, the kind of inflation that we have in Hong Kong is, uh, is, is, is really not, uh, not unduly great. We're looking at about 2.9 for 23, and uh, that was, that's the forecast from not significant base in that in 22. So, yes, I don't think he is misleading us in giving a number as high as, uh, as, uh, uh, 3.5 to 0.5, okay, uh, for for 23. But the but is is uh, if and actually it can be done. I should have done it at the bank of an envelope, okay, to eliminate the low base effect. You may find out that we are growing at perhaps one and a half percent. But that's mm-hmm. a guess. So uh, please please erase it from your tape, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the deficits? He was talking about this yesterday as a justification for not being more generous with the sweeteners and handouts. Um, He's going to be on uh, Radio 3 at 8.30 in the financial secretary phone-in, but maybe one of the things uh, that we can put to him is this deficit number, because he's saying the, the deficit is going to be worse than expected, 140 billion Hong Kong dollars. But that isn't really the whole truth of the matter, is it? Because what he's done to get to that number is he's added in $66 billion of um, of bond borrowing. So the real deficit is actually over $200 billion uh, for this year. So quite a bit higher than last year, um, much, much higher than what he predicted um, and higher than what, what he's actually saying. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, actually, Peter, bad idea you asked me because I've got the, the actual figures in front of me. Uh, fiscal deficits and measurements of fiscal deficit in Hong Kong can be a little bit of an arcane subject mm. for a very, very simple reason. Okay, when Hong Kong has a deficit, clearly it needs somebody to fund it. Okay, the government spends more than it received. Where will it fund it? The answer is this from borrowing mm. and from its fiscal uh, accumulation. It's called it the fiscal reserves. The fiscal reserves right now are 800, 800, I'll actually give you the full number, 817,333, 817.000,000 billion honkies. Mm. Okay, so now that is going to be used to fund. Now, one well, let, me, let me stop you there. Let me just stop you there. But what I'm saying is yeah. he shouldn't add in that borrowing first to reduce um, what the deficit number is. The deficit is the deficit, although some of it is going to be funded through borrowing. But the true number for the deficit is over $200 billion, isn't it? Oh, Peter, you stole my thunder. Okay, look, this is standard procedure with uh, Hong Kong fiscal, fiscal statistics. And that is the borrowing is added in. Now, let me rush and say, why the hell does the government need to borrow? It has 800 big ones. Why do they need to borrow money to cover the deficit? Why they simply don't tip 
into the fiscal reserves. And there are two reasons for that. The government issues bonds because that helps to establish a vibrant Hong Kong bond market mm. with, of course, a spectacularly safe government issuing bonds. So this is very important as, let's say, playing the game. The second point, of course, is it leaves the fiscal deficit, the fiscal reserves alone, and that is politically nice. So if you delve into the numbers, okay, I will not quarrel too much that they add the borrowing and therefore makes the deficit smaller, because if they didn't, it would have made the fiscal reserves smaller. So there you go. Mm. And he says he wants <laughs> to have that. Really for, simple as that. He says he wants to have it also for a rainy day as well. But uh, do absolutely. We... So in other words, to say it's much easier for us to borrow cheaply, a hundred big ones, okay, rather than dip into the fiscal reserves. I mm. must admit, I am not saying I agree or disagree, but I don't think there is anything tricky or devious into that. In in meaning that had he borrowed less, the fiscal reserves would have been further down. Simple as that. So should he have been more generous then in his in his handouts, given then that we do still have, uh, you know, these okay. reserves? I mean, he's cut the consumption vouchers, hasn't he, in half. The uh, the salaries yeah. tax reduction now is capped at $6,000 instead of $10,000 last year. So compared to last year, people's tax burden is going up. Yeah, but uh, here we come again. This is the old, old, old argument. The fiscal reserves are the savings of the Hong Kong people. Okay, why? Because every year in the past, the government will tax more than it spent, and mm -hmm. therefore it would accumulate a surplus. Now, why aren't we not going to use a surplus? And the answer is, is yes, we have used it over the last three years, and that's why it has come down. The other point is, is if you simply took it as is, and you divided by the average expenditures expected, uh, this will about cover one fiscal year. In other words, the government may not tax at all for one year, and it could carry on spending roughly as much as it has been spending now. So there is a lot involved. My mm. question is, is why the government is not beginning to push Hong Kong towards a more rational and distributed tax base, whereby we have no purchase tax of any kind, or VAT. Okay, we have an income tax system where the majority of the tax is raised from the minority of the taxpayers, which is perfectly okay. I don't have any problem into that. And equally, a very low profit tax. In other words, uh, spreading the taxation uh, across would have made the issue of every time the government having significant large uh, surpluses a little bit easier to handle and perhaps a little bit easier not to, to justify. Sorry, it's a little bit convoluted argument. So... <laughs> Uh, yes, we could ask him to spend the, the fiscal reserves and they will say, and what's going to happen next time? The thing I worry about, Andrew, is that yeah. we, we've got this creeping um, involvement of the government in the economy. It, it's, it's, uh, its size, if you like, it, its involvement in the economy is just growing and growing every year. If you take public expenditure as a percentage of GDP. This year, it hit 30%. You know, at the, yeah. at the handover time in 1997, 98, it was 17% of GDP. Do you worry about yeah. this, that this is government spending out of control? Well, uh, again, oh God, I sound like an economist. Depends whether the money is being spent on, on infrastructure and on, uh, let's say, initiatives that will tend to produce in the future, as opposed to handing out vouchers. Mm. Okay, uh, the vouchers, I completely agreed with that because that was the fast, quick way of getting a little bit of money into people's hands in order to spend. 
uh, you know, I, I thoroughly agreed about that. And possibly I may not agree with it for this year, Rani. Never mind. That's, that's, that's the way it goes. But uh, not to be repeated. But spending more money, as they are doing now, significantly through subsidies on investment, on anything that has to do with technology, uh, might not be a bad idea. Although we have to remember that Hong Kong is a service economy, so all this goes into software, not hardware. In other words, Hong Kong is not going to become... It's not any, it was never planned to become a Silicon Valley of the, of the greater Bay Area. In other words, all of it is going to be gray matter as opposed to, to bits of wire and, uh, and, uh, and, and computers. Well, so, so, you know, he was saying that he wants to develop Hong Kong into an artificial intelligence supercomputing uh, center, and he wants to obviously develop tech research here. Should we be spending more money on that? Uh, as long as it is perhaps part of a subsidized system whereby the risk is shared with the private sector, absolutely yes. I, I, I don't think this is, uh, this, is, this is unreasonable. And now they are not saying this, and they will have to say at some stage, okay, the tourism based on China, I have a terrible feeling, is going to be bye-bye for good. Remember, we used to, we used to welcome uh, something like... Uh, uh, 4 million to 5 million Chinese tourists a month. Okay, a month. Mm. We're hardly doing, we're still low, we're still in the low hundreds of thousands, if that. Okay, and I don't think this is going to come back. Okay. For a number of reasons. <laughs> Sorry to have to interrupt you, but we've got to we got to move on. We've got quite a bit to fit into today. So thank you very much, Andrew, for that, and also thank you very much for being my regular guest on a on a Friday it's morning. Always for... a pleasure, and good luck to your further endeavours. Thank you very much, Andrew. That's Andrew Ferris, who is the CEO of Econosis Advisory. Coming up to 8.21, let's go down to Australia and speak with Toby Lawson, who is Director of Staten Advice. Morning to you, Toby. Good morning, Peter. Now, we've had the minutes um, of the, uh, the Federal Reserve's last meeting um, were released on Wednesday, US time. There seemed to be a very strong message from them, wasn't there? Basically, rates are going up. We are not comfortable with where inflation is, um, and they're going up more than you think. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that uh, the market's um, got a little bit of a wake-up call. The enthusiasm and exuberance of January sort of dissipated into more of a melancholic February, um, you know, and reflected in equity uh, markets coming off from, say, 6% up to about 3 and a bit, and then bond yields going up. So, yeah, the market's reacted as expected, I would, you know, to what the Fed is saying. The Fed have pretty much said that uh, substantially more evidence Mm. is needed across a broader range of inputs to determine whether the fight on inflation has been uh, or will be won. Mm. And if you look at that GDP data that came out um, overnight, although GDP itself was revised downwards, which I suppose is some good news for the Fed because it does want to see the economy slow, what didn't get revised downwards is, is prices. Price expenditure, uh, consumer price inflation was in effect going up. It got revised upwards. That's not good news either for the Fed. Well, I think there's a couple of things. Is the, the tightness of the labour market uh, continues to be a slump, somewhat of a conundrum, even if we're seeing some layoff announcements. Um, the consumer's still spending, and it, it, it appears that they've still got some some capacity to spend and some a- appetite to spend uh, 
post the pandemic, which probably reflects maybe they had a deeper savings pool than uh, what was expected. And so there is still that element. There was a tight labour market, plenty of jobs out there, uh, some pent-up savings still probably in the in the pockets. Um, that's keeping the consumer fairly well fairly well bid at a time when you know inflation's going up and interest rates are going up. So. Yeah, maybe the battle's going to be a little tougher than uh, what the market expected. What is it that's going to bring the consumer sort of down to earth? Because despite interest rates going up, which are almost 5%, it does, just doesn't seem to stop the consumer, does it? I, I know it's a big part of the US uh, economy, but what is it, do you think, that will make um, them, them think twice about maybe spending more? Is it going to be an increase in job losses? Is it going to be rates going to 6 or 7%? What do you think will do it? Well, I think both of those things are factors. But really, it's it's the labour market. I think more than anything, if people fear that their their jobs may be on the line, mm. uh, then of course that's going to have a serious impact on sentiment. Um, but at this stage, we're not seeing it. Um, although we've seen some evidence uh, in some sectors where we're starting to see a few layoffs. But generally speaking, that labour market is proving to be one of the drivers to keep consumers positive. And, of course, uh, the other one would be if we think the terminal rate on interest rates is 4% or 4.1 and they go careering through that to 4.5, then, yes, that'll be an accelerated impact, uh, both in terms of sentiment but also in terms of, let's say, equity prices, which also are a bellwether of sentiment, uh, at least if you look at the Dow Jones and the S&P. Now, if you look at the markets and how they're responding to this, I suppose, first of all, the bond markets and the currency markets, the US dollar, they have been anticipating this, haven't they? Because bond yields have jumped uh, in the last couple of weeks um, or so. Um, And also the US dollar index, it's almost close to a year high now. So those two asset classes do seem to be responding to this. Yeah, I think that's the most interesting thing. And and it'll feed through to equity prices as well in the US because... You know, obviously, the earnings yield uh, is reflective of the uh, bond rate. And we've gone up sort of 20 basis points, I think, or close to it in the last couple of weeks. Um, and coming off a, a sort of fairly strong rally earlier in the year. Um, so the market is starting to reprice that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has a little bit of a jitters for the equity market. And, um, you know, we'll see. I think uh, 395 has been a high on the 10 year this week. Through 4%, that'll have a bit of headline work. So we'll be watching that pretty closely next week. Do you think stocks have now fully priced this in or is there more to go? I think they're a bit vulnerable right now. I think, you know, it's still 3%. I think it's about 3.5% up of the year on the S&P. Mm-hmm. So it's a positive start. So they haven't got completely lost faith. But uh, so I still think there's maybe some pullback potential. Well, Toby, thanks very much for being on the program today and also being on the show for actually the past eight years because when I first started on Money Talk back in 2015, you were one of my first guests in the first week um, of the show. So it's fitting you're also my final guest. And in the interim period, you've brought us a, a regular view from Australia and then from India for a while. And I've had so many listeners, emails from listeners over the years saying how much they appreciate uh, your comments and insights. So thank you very much for being such a great guest. Well, personally, I want to thank you, Pete, for, for putting this, this together. I remember when I lived in Hong Kong, the one thing that I really lacked was a show of this quality um, with this level of um, information that could be given to listeners, particularly in the English uh, format. So, you know, your initiative, uh, eight years, is unbelievable. It's been a real pleasure to, to participate. I've enjoyed it very much, and I wish you uh, uh, all the best in the next endeavours. Thanks. Thanks very much, Toby. That's very kind of you. That's Toby Lawson from Statted Advice in Australia.
You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let me give you an update on the markets for this morning. The ASX 200 in Australia right now uh, is up about a quarter of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan, which is reopened after a public holiday yesterday, up 0.6 percent. The Cosby in South Korea, up a quarter uh, of a percent. It does look like, though, the Hang Seng is going to slide at the open, uh, about 26 um, and a half points or so. Well, that's it for me. I don't want to go, but it is time to say goodbye. And presenting Money Talk over the past eight years has, has been a real honour and a joy for me. One of the best things I've done in my life. So I leave with no regrets. But before I go, there are some people I wish to thank. Firstly, thank RTHK for giving me the opportunity to host this show. It's been a dream of mine since I was a, a young boy to be on the radio. So I've now lived that dream. And I must also thank my long-suffering producers over the years, including my current one for the past two and a half years, Christy Lai, who's also leaving Radio 3 at the end of the month. And I need to thank especially my brilliant guests, you've heard two of them this morning, whose outstanding knowledge and expertise and enthusiasm each morning has made the show uh, what it is and so popular um, here in Hong Kong. But most of all, I really want to thank you, my listeners. It's been an absolute pleasure and privilege to have had the opportunity to bring you Money Talk each weekday morning. And I'm so grateful to you for tuning in every day. I hope we've been able to bring you an appreciation of business, economic and financial issues that affect Asia, and especially Hong Kong and mainland China, in an educational, informative and entertaining way. And thank you also for all your kind emails, texts, tweets, posts on social media over the past two weeks since I announced I was leaving. I can't possibly reply to you all, but several of you have asked where you can follow me on social media, hear my new business and finance podcast, if you like. I'm on Substack, and you can find me. My handle is Peter Lewis Money Talk. Just type in peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com into your browser. In the meantime, Money Talk is not going away. The program's going to be back on Monday uh, with all the latest business and finance news. And from next week, the show will be extended to one hour from 8.30 to 9.30 each weekday morning. There'll be a different presenter each day of the week, starting with James Ross on Monday. So please be as nice to him as you have been to me over the past eight years. Coming up after the 8.30 news, it's the Financial Secretary phone-in. The Financial Secretary, Paul Chan, will be here in the Radio 3 studio with Jim Gordon and Janice Wong to answer your questions about the 20. 23 budgets. Uh, if you have any questions or comments about policies that are in the budget or things that weren't included in the budgets that you think should have been, then you can speak directly to Paul Chan between 8.30 to 9.30 this morning. You do that by telephoning 2338-8266. And just before I go, one final thing. The weather, fine, rather warm and dry, some haze during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be about 26 degrees, mainly fine and dry and windy over the weekend and early next week, rather cool in the mornings. The temperature right now is 17 degrees, 79% relative humidity. There is a red fire danger warning in force. The time's 8.30. Here's Tom Warden with the half-hour news. The government says it will tender another site under its Starter Homes initiative, aimed at first-time buyers who can't afford private flats but who don't qualify for the main subsidized housing schemes. The nearly 5-hectare plot in Chunwan will be up for tender in the first quarter of the next financial year. Announcing the move, Development Secretary Bernadette Lin said she couldn't say what proportion of the nearly 2,000 units at the Yaokomto site would be starter flats but she said they would take into account the pricing of the initiative's pilot project on Anderson Road in Kuntong.
Those tender conditions will, of course, reflect Housing Bureau's intention regarding how the starter homes should be built, including the minimum floor area to be dedicated to the starter homes units, and also the size of the starter home flats, the pricing, and also the eligibility criteria of the buyers. So I'm sure as the Housing Bureau is now working on the conditions, they will make reference to the first pilot project of this kind in the Anderson Road successfully sold. The United Nations General Assembly has voted overwhelmingly to demand that Russia immediately and unconditionally withdraw its troops from Ukraine. The result was announced by the President of the Assembly, Chaba Korosi. The result of the vote is as follows. In favor, 141. Against, 7. Abstentions, 32. Draft resolution A-ES-11-L7 is adopted. China and India were among the countries that abstained. Researchers from the Chinese university say they've made a key breakthrough in the study of how cockroaches can cause allergic reactions, paving the way for the development of treatments for conditions like asthma and eczema. In a three-year study, the medical department team found that the insects are the second most common trigger for allergic diseases and identified seven previously unknown cockroach allergens that set them off. The former Hollywood film mogul Harvey Weinstein has been sentenced to 16 more years in prison by a court in Los Angeles for rape and sexual assault. Weinstein is already serving a 23-year sentence after a separate conviction in New York. Prosecutors in New York have laid four new charges against Sam Bankman-Fried, the founder of the defunct cryptocurrency exchange FTX. They accuse him and his associates of making 300 illegal political donations worth tens of millions of U.S. dollars. He has already pleaded not guilty to eight earlier charges, including fraud and conspiracy. You're listening to the news on RTHK. The Financial Secretary Phone-In with Jim Gould and Janice Wong. Call us on 233-88266. Good morning and welcome to this uh, special phone-in programme with the Financial Secretary, Paul Chan. Mr Chan, good morning and thank you very much for joining Good morning, Mr Chan. Good morning, Janice. We're live on RTHK TV 31 and 32 on Radio 3 and you can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. I'm Jim Gould and Janice Wong is co-presenter. And Mr Chan is going to be with us for the next hour to yeah. listen to your comments and yeah. take your calls. Yeah, thank so, you for the opportunity. So you're, you're most yeah. welcome. You're most welcome. Just remind uh, the viewers and listeners the number again is 233-88-266. Feel free to call and please try to get your call in early and that way you'll have a better chance of getting to speak to the FS uh, directly. Um, Mr Chan, so uh, a budget for recovery, obviously, after several very difficult years. Yes. Uh, you also emphasise the need for high-quality development, uh, talking about uh, things like uh, the green economy, green yeah. finance, green technology, turning Hong Kong into an international hub for that, uh, a third-generation internet, uh, uh, digital development. 
is this the way forward for us uh, economically, do you think? Well, you know, uh, under the 14 five-year plan of the nation, uh, we have been uh, given eight uh, centres and directions uh, for growing our economy. But when you look at the global trend, I think digital economy is evolving and 